the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. 910 WTWD Plant City. A service of Salem Media Group. News this hour from townhall.com. I'm Rich Thomason. Turmoil on the streets of Hamburg, Germany, which will be hosting the G20 Summit. SWAT teams unleashing water cannon on anti-capitalist demonstrators. Outfitted in black, the protesters went on a rampage. The security forces had feared it would be a flashpoint, and so it proved. White-helmeted riot police moved in fast to confront and split off black-hooded demonstrators. Officers used pepper spray and were backed up with water cannon. Some demonstrators flung bottles and other missiles. 20,000 police are deployed in a city that's likely to endure a tense night ahead of the start of the summit on Friday. That's the BBC's Danny Everhart. President Trump will meet with Russian President Putin along the sidelines of the summit. Earlier today in Poland, Mr. Trump delivered a message to Moscow. We urge Russia to cease its destabilizing activities in Ukraine and elsewhere and its support for hostile regimes, including Syria and Iran. The ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee complains that the president's remarks on Russian election interference directly undermine U.S. interests. Adam Schiff accuses the president of, in his words, continuing to propagate his own personal fiction at the country's expense. Schiff's comments follow the president's statement that nobody really knows who meddled in the election. Schiff added that it would be an historic mistake if the president doesn't raise the election issue during his bilateral meeting with President Putin. Capitol Hill correspondent Wally Hine. Police in Georgia say a mother suspected of fatally stabbing four of her children and the children's father was the Spanish-speaking 911 caller who reported the crime. On Wall Street at the close, the Dow down 154 points. More on these stories at townhall.com. Dennis Prager here, and for two years now, I've been telling you about my wife, Sue, who tried Relief Factor because of her knee pain, and it worked. This is before I ever even heard about the product. I never endorsed the pain reliever, but now I am. And yes, now I'm taking Relief Factor, too. Maybe you've heard me call it a miracle. In fact, listen to what Amanda from Texas wrote. I was having pain in my left thumb area and left side of my leg from my knee about four inches up. After about a week of taking Relief Factor, the pain in my leg has gone away, and a few days later, the pain in my left hand is gone. We've gotten thousands of these testimonials, and if you're struggling with ongoing back or neck pain, shoulder, hip, or knee pain, or general muscle aches and pain, do what my wife Sue did. Try Relief Factor. Go to relieffactor.com. Or call them toll-free, 800-583-84, 800-583-84.
Another deadly battle in Mexico's ongoing drug war. Chihuahua State Attorney General's office confirms that the huge and sustained gun battle involving dozens of gunmen happened in the normally quiet, oddly named hamlet of Las Vegas between two heavily armed rival groups and the death toll is likely to significantly rise. Mexican border states are the principal transit routes for tons of illegal narcotics northwards into the United States, with an estimated annual turnover in excess of $40 billion. The turf wars pockmarked by vicious, sporadic gun battles are savage, this one particularly so. James Blears, Mexico. The leaders of the European Union and Japan are lauding their agreement in principle on free trade. They say that the EU and Japan demonstrate to the world and their citizens that free trade remains an important tool to promote prosperity. News and analysis at Town Hall. We are here to give you strength between Sundays. And so there is an expectation in the life of a Christian that they will grow to be mature, that we will not stay infants, that my life will be different than it was when I came in. We are here for you. Faith Talk AM 570, online at letstalkfaith.com. Hi, this is Pastor Al. Got a Bible question? Wondering what the Bible has to say about current events? Join me Sunday nights at 11 on Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTBN for Late Night Live with Pastor Al as I take your questions about Bible prophecy and current events, creation and evolution, Israel in the Middle East, angels and extraterrestrials, sin and salvation, and a whole lot more. Bring an open mind and an open Bible because you never know what we're going to talk about next. Sunday nights at 11 on Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTBN. Faith Talk 570 WTBN. This hour of the Bill Bunkley Show is sponsored by EDI Travel. Show. I am your guest host. My name is Carmen LaBerge. Uh, it is exciting to be back with you today. We got a lot of ground to cover. I would love to hear from you today. The number here in the studio is 877-943-9673. Again, that number is 877-943-9673. You are invited to call and chime in on any of the subjects that we're going to be talking about today. I got a whole list of them for you, so we're just going to move through them. And as there are things that uh, pique your attention and your concern, um, or maybe there's a story that I don't get to and you think that we ought to be talking about this today on the Bill Bunkley Show, then you just let me know. Again, the number is 877-943-9673. Okay, so the president is in Poland. There are protests, ongoing anti-capitalist protests at the G20 summit in Germany already uh, underway. Um, protesters filling the streets. The military in Germany has been told not to wear their military uniforms because of uh, the aggressive nature of leftist uh, violent demonstrators. So just uh, it it looks a little chaotic. People on the streets in all kinds of uh, wacky costumery. That's the way I will describe it. And mostly uh, the military personnel and police dressed in what I would just describe as riot gear. And then just a lot of people in, like, bike helmets, which is probably not a horrible idea if you're going to some kind of protest to wear something to protect your noggin. Okay. The president uh, in Poland, however, gave a very strong speech uh, on the subject of Western civilization. He reaffirmed the United States bond with our European allies, calling uh, the pact... As strong as ever, 
And then he argued that, you know what, our Western values are increasingly imperiled by terrorism and extremism, and we've got, uh, we've got some decisions to make. He says, do we have the confidence in our values to defend, to defend those values at any cost? He says, the fundamental question of our time, now that's pretty strong language, the fundamental question of our time is whether the West has the will to survive. There's probably a song that goes along with that. Do we have the will to survive? Do we have the confidence in our values to defend them at any cost? Do we have enough respect for our citizens to protect our own borders? Do we have the desire and the courage to preserve our civilization in the face of those who would subvert and destroy it? Folks, you could just um, tape that list of questions uh, up on your mirror or, you know, I don't know, to the back of your phone and ask them periodically of yourself and of others. What are our shared values? It's you got to define what the values are before you start talking about whether or not we have confidence in our values and whether or not we're going to defend them at any cost. And so that's a good question here in the week during which we celebrate the declaration of our independence as a people. Do we actually still regard these truths to be self-evident or not? Do we still regard ourselves as having been created, each of us, equally by God? with certain unalienable rights, that among those rights is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What are the values of our nation? Not just the values uh, that existed when the nation was established, but what are our values today? What do you genuinely value? What's your value system constructed upon? What would you do to defend those values? And then this is a good question. Do we have enough respect for our citizens to protect our borders? That's a good question. This is a very, uh, this is actually a, a fairly strong, just Republican statement about the defense of uh, values at any cost and respect for uh, national borders and national sovereignty. And then this question, do we have the desire and the courage? It's one thing to have the desire for something. It's another thing to be willing to make the sacrifice to achieve or defend it. Do we, do we have the desire and the courage to preserve our civilization in the face of those who would subvert and destroy it? So that gets to the question of how uncivil our situation has become, how uncivil our dis- our discourse has become. Uh, if you want to chime in and respond to things that the president said, do you actually think that is the fundamental question of our time? Is the fundamental question of our time whether the West has the will to survive? Do you think that there's a bigger, more fundamental question that we have to answer? Um, I, I might, I might dig deeper. I might say the issue is deeper than that. Um, but I'm interested to know what you've got to say today. The number here in the studio is 877-943-9673. Do you have the confidence in our values uh, that you would defend them at any cost? I'd love to hear, love to hear your feedback um, on any and all of that. I do have an update for you on Steve Scalise. It's not good news today. Uh, related to Congressman Steve Scalise, the House Majority Whip Steve Scalise, who you will recall was grievously wounded in a shooting on June the 14th at a baseball practice. Uh, he was actually moved out of ICU and upgraded on June the 22nd, but he has been readmitted to the intensive care unit uh, in the Washington Hospital where he has been uh, since suffering, since sustaining those gunshot wounds during the congressional, during the practice for the congressional baseball game in June. Steve Scalise, you'll remember, is a six-term Louisiana congressman. He's the third-ranking House Republican. He has been downgraded to serious condition 
and placed back in the intensive care unit uh, because of new concerns related to infection. I think that uh, particularly during this holiday break, when those serving us in in their roles as uh, men and women in in the Congress or in the Senate, uh, as they are home in their in their states and in their districts, good time to be mindful of the sacrifices that they and their families make every day. And in particular, I would invite your continued prayers for Steve Scalise and for for his family uh, as they. Uh, it's going to be a long recovery process, and every setback makes that uh, process even longer. So I just want to keep you aware of that situation. All right, a little closer to home. I pulled this story today out of the Tampa Bay Times. Here's the question. Uh, Does Church of Scientology in Clearwater, if you have an opinion on this subject, I definitely want to hear from you. Uh, So the Church of Scientology thinks that it's possible that the reason that they can't make a land deal in Clearwater, the the reason that they can't make a land swap uh, with the city council of Clearwater is because of religious bias. So is religious bias affecting the land deal that the Church of Scientology would like to make with the city of Clearwater? Uh, If you've got something to say about that, any input on this, I want to hear from you uh, here in the studio at 877-943-9673. Here's what the paper says. The Church of Scientology lawyer says the city's recent decision to back away from a land swap with the church was unfounded and signaled in a letter that her clients will be watching to see if religious discrimination might be at play. It's hard for me to imagine, um, as you read the details of this particular situation, uh, that there's not some level of consideration uh, being given to what kind of church this is. You just kind of feel like if this was Episcopalians, the land deal probably would have gone through. And if that's the case, then um, then the conversation is legit. When we start talking about religious freedom and, and the freedom of religion, and then we start talking about whether or not that's just good for us or what we think is good for us is good for everybody, man, this is the sticking point right here. This is the sticking point. Um, what do you do when the religious liberty conversation extends to religions that, well, or at least local, I don't even know what to call this. What do you even call the Church of Scientology? I want to call it a cult. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that. Um, So it's really big. It's really wealthy. It's got really famous people involved. And it's just wacky. Okay, so so do we, would we say we want to advocate for religious liberty? And when we say people have the freedom to believe whatever they want to believe and that In the United States, no matter what you believe, your rights are the same as everybody else's rights. Then we really can't be biased in any way against a particular religious group if, you know what, their money money spends the same as everybody else's money. And so uh, apparently the city made uh, a sale of property to Calvary Baptist Church in 2015 and that deal um, did not uh, did not encounter the the kind of challenges that this deal apparently did. And I got to say that the Church of Scientology actually kept sweetening and sweetening and sweetening this deal. Um, and the the city ended up. Uh, I mean, I, the city could make a lot of money, and it's and it's only gonna it's it's swapping land. It's not like it's getting any less land. Um, and in fact, the Church of Scientology went so far as to. Uh, as to make an offer uh, that was twice 
what was being offered by someone else in terms of the uh, purchase of the Clearwater Marine Aquarium, um, because apparently the church owns some property adjacent to that that's a religious retreat, and they upped their offer uh, to the aquarium um, twice to $15 million, and it didn't go through. I'm just saying there's there's a there's apparently a lot of money available, um, and this particular church is not being allowed to buy what they want to buy. And if the only reason that they're not being allowed to buy it is because we think they're weird, then that's then that's religious discrimination. And that's religious bias. Um, now, of course, of course, of course, the spokesperson for the city is offended that uh, that accusation has been raised. Um, I mean, I, I, I would die would re- reject it as well. Um, so uh, I don't know if this is a, Bill Horn is defending the council's decision, saying in an interview the church is crying religious discrimination where it doesn't exist. However, I got to tell you, Mr. Horn, if you're selling property to other religious groups um, and they're not encountering this same level of scrutiny um, and you agree to stuff and then you don't agree and they keep trying to sweeten the deal and you don't go for it, at some point their money's green, man, and, uh, and, and you got to sell them what they want to buy. Um, if you don't, then we're going to get into the same. We're going to get into a big, big conversation about baking a cake. All right. Uh, and so if you aren't going to bake the cake and you're not going to sell the land at some point, the conversation, I mean, that you can't have this both ways. You can't have these conversations go both ways. If religious liberty is good for the goose, religious liberty has to be good for the gander. And so as we're thinking through these things uh, in terms of local issues here in Florida or national issues in terms of the cake baking case that's going to be before the Supreme Court, probably in October, we I mean, I got a friend who would say it this way. You got to have your skirts got to be clean. You, you, your skirts got to be clean when you start getting into these kinds of discussions. Uh, and so I would encourage you as you enter into serious thought about defending um, freedom of religion, when, you, when you're when you offended by the kind of religion that the other people are practicing. And so, uh, and so there you go. That's my encouragement to you today. Be thinking very seriously. You know, if it's because they're weird that I don't want to sell them the land, uh, is that discrimination? And if it's discrimination based on religion, man, that's, uh, that's just not okay in America. So uh, I don't know. Would Bill Bunkley be saying something different? You can you can call me. You can speak on his behalf. He's out of town. He probably needs you to take up for him every once in a while. The number here is 877-943-9673. I am happy to talk to anyone about anything. My name's Carmen LeBurge. It's a privilege to be sitting in for Bill Bunkley this week. You can check it all out at letstalkfaith.com. Hey, when we come back, let's talk about uh, Marco Rubio. He can't find a place to have an office here in Tampa. I think that some of you ought to be able to help him with that. Um, And the state of Florida is being sued because apparently you're not letting people smoke weed. So there you go. We're going to talk about those two things when we come back. This is the Bill Bunkley Show.
remember that back in 1998, the largest tobacco companies in the USA were sued for using false advertisements and manipulating scientific research? These tobacco companies agreed to a master settlement agreement where a minimum of $206 billion was to be awarded to 46 state municipalities. You could personally claim a tax-free portion of this money, around $2,300 per month in perpetuity, whether you have ever smoked or not. It's because billions of these dollars are being used to back interest-bearing financial instruments that bring in between 10 and 12% yields year after year. Investors are beating down the doors to lock up their positions, and now you can too. Money Map Press, an independent financial publisher, and editor Keith Fitzgerald have created a research presentation on these programs that you can attend free. Visit TobaccoMasterPayments.com for more information. Find out how you can benefit from the Big Tobacco Master Settlement Agreement. Call 800-282-3487 or visit TobaccoMasterPayments.com. That's TobaccoMasterPayments.com. Bill Bunkley here. Have you thought about how many people were involved in your last car or truck purchase? The salesperson, the sales manager, the general manager, finance and insurance managers, and on and on it goes. Getting through the sale can be a real grind. Not so at Rivard Buick GMC. When you buy from Rivard, the process is so streamlined that from the handshake on throughout the entire transaction, even finance and insurance, you work with one person and one person only. No other dealership does it this way. Such a refreshing way to buy a vehicle. And one of the family owners is always on hand should you need that special Rivard touch. Rivard is Florida's largest selling GMC Sierra dealer with over 100 in stock at all times. Check out the savings today at RivardBuickGMC.com. Once again, that website is RivardBuickGMC.com. Or visit Rivard on Route 60 in Brandon. And when you do, tell them Bill Bunkley sent you. Friends, welcome back to the Bill Bunkley Show. I'm Carmen LaBerge, filling in for Bill all this week. I've got somebody on the line, Steve from Clearwater. You want to talk about this conversation about the Church of Scientology and the land swap with the city of Clearwater? Steve, what do you got to say? Well, first of all, Carmen, I, I just want to make a correction. Um, I don't know. I, I think the word cult might have been used or Scientologists. You know, maybe weird, and, and and I just want to say I've been a Scientologist 50 years of my 71 lives, uh, years, and uh, we are not a cult, and w- we are not weird. I, I'm a I'm a very religious person. I was raised as a, a Greek Orthodox. I still am. Uh, it, it's uh, Scientology to me deals very much with the spiritual nature of man, and uh, we we have millions of volunteers every day, all all year who do volunteer work. On their own time, All right, whether Steve. it's in uh, Steve, Pakistan, I pre- when they had whether they're Indonesia, whether it was 9-11. Steve, I appreciate uh, that. Let me let me get specifically to the issue that we're trying to answer in Clearwater. Specifically, do, right do you do you as a member of the Church of Scientology? And by the way, thank you for your call. I couldn't have uh-huh. a better better person call on this subject. Um, as a member of the Church of Scientology, do you suspect? Are you suspicious? That um, that one of the reasons that your church is unable to to make this land swap or make this land deal with the city of Clearwater is based on some kind of religious bias. Well, to be honest, I, I would say I'm concerned if, in fact, that's the case. And I really think it's unfair. If, in fact, that's the case, it's, it's not fair because we, you know, we mean very well. And um, and, and, and it would be sad if that were the case. So, I, I, I don't understand all the details of it. I don't pretend to understand all the details. 
but the, the fact is that the church has made many offers, has bent over backwards to to afford us the opportunity to purchase that land, and I don't understand why it keeps it continues to be uh, uh, unacceptable. Yeah, that was that was kind of my question too, Steve. So thank you so much for your call. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Bill Bunkley Show. You're welcome, and thank you for presenting the issue. Thank you. Certainly. All right, friends. Good conversation. You got to be able to. Uh, you got to be able to talk to people. I'm actually the person that used um, that used the term. I was trying to be provocative when I said it. Um, and and here's the reality. It actually it doesn't matter um, if you find the religious beliefs of other people, whatever those religious beliefs are. If you find those uh, to be different um, or uh, you know in some way uh, in some way contrary to the way you believe. That's really not the issue here in America, right? Freedom of religion means that Steve has every right to believe what Steve believes, even if I think that what Steve believes is not aligned with what I believe. There you go. That's the freedom of religion at work and the ability to talk with one another in a civil way and understand the concerns of people who don't share our faith or whose faith we don't share that's actually the dialogue that we're looking for um, here in America today. So, um, you know, so ask yourself if a, if, if a group of um, Muslim believers wanted to build a mosque in your community, would they be able to buy the land to do it? How about a group of wacky Baptists, right? Uh, would you let them buy property to build on? Um, how about... How about the Sikh community? Uh, I know that in the community that I live in, we have a, a really extraordinary high number of, of refugee Christians. They happen to be um, Coptic Christians from Egypt. Now, the Coptic Christians, they don't actually believe all the same things that, you know, the Southern Baptists who kind of dominate my part of the country. I live in Nashville. Uh, so, um but when but when they came, you know what? The Church of Jesus Christ is big enough uh, to accommodate folks with differing viewpoints. And now there's actually seven established Eastern Orthodox churches, Coptic churches uh, in the Nashville area, populated all by uh, Coptic Christians. So I just got to tell you that, you know, these are these are questions and conversations that are only going to grow and intensify as the diversity of belief in America continues to uh, to expand. All right. How about Marco Rubio? Okay, this guy he can't find an office. This just seems uh, this seems inhospitable. And so I'm just going to call out Tampa Bay right now and say, look, somebody needs to offer this guy some space. I don't think he needs a lot of space. Seeing as for the last four months, his two person staff that serves the Tampa Bay area has been improvising by meeting constituents in coffee shops, libraries, and other public spaces. So. I mean, look around, people. You got some office space for this senator where he could, you know, I don't know, put have a little shop, have a little storefront. And you say to yourself, well, I don't want all those demonstrators. That is, in fact, the issue. All right. The reason that he lost his lease four months ago and they had to pack up the Tampa office was that the landlord became frustrated by these weekly demonstrations um, outside of outside of the office, people you know carrying around tombstones and and all kinds of other things. Now you can see them periodically out at the corner of Dale Mabry and Kennedy. They they camp out out there in the median, uh, which seems unreasonably unsafe. But anyway, that's that's where they have uh, taken to protesting. Um, I don't suspect Marco Rubio is on that corner very much, so I don't know how effective that is in having their concerns known to his office. But there you go. So. The owner of the Bridgeport Center, which is the nine-story office building on Kennedy where Rubio's office was, 
they were notified, uh, I don't know, I guess it was like February 1st, that their lease would not be renewed. So he didn't quite get evicted. That's kind of too strong language. But, you know, 30 days, your lease is up. you got to be out. And the reason was these weekly demonstrations outside the building by activists who were seeking to pressure Rubio on a variety of issues were disruptive to other tenants and ultimately costing the, costing the landlord, costing the company too much money. And then private security and all of that. So uh, here's, here's, what the, here's what the issue is that's now being raised. So when you're, when you're a senator or when you're a congressman, when you, when you meet with them, right, they take some notes. I mean, you're probably not actually meeting with them anyway. You're meeting with their staffers. And they're helping you with whatever it is that's of concern to you that you need help with uh, at the federal level. That's what they do. So, if, by the way, if you've got a problem and it's at the federal level, these are the people you go to. This is their job. This is what they do. And so um, constituents sit down periodically with members of the Rubio staff, and the Rubio staff takes down information. They document those meetings. Well, the big question now, apparently, that uh, folks want to scratch, the itch people want to scratch, is where are those documents being kept? Because if he doesn't have an office, are those, are those documents just riding around in some staff member's car? Are they just, are they just acting like they're personal property? Okay, people, lighten up. We, we actually live in a digital age. We actually, a lot of us work remotely. Uh, in fact, I mean, although I am in Salem's Tampa studio today and feel very, very privileged to be here because it's really fun to, like, actually sit in Bill Bunkley's chair to do the Bill Bunkley show. But I could. I could because technology is this, like, wonderful, mysterious, almost magical thing. I could be doing this radio show from anywhere in the world. Okay. And you wouldn't know it. I'd be having the same sheet of paper in my hand, this document, in an unsecured location. Okay. Now, I recognize that some people's personal information is so personal that they would not want to imagine that it was not secure. But here's the deal, friends. If you're going to run our public servants out of out of spaces like office buildings because of demonstrations, and you're going to make it impossible for them to find a place to rent, then you got to imagine that they're going to have a little box in which they're carrying around the information. All right, we got to take we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about marijuana and whether or not you actually knew you weren't going to get to smoke it when you voted on this constitutional amendment. This is the Bill Bunkley Show. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We'll be right back. I'm Rich Thomason in Washington. Violence in the streets of Hamburg, Germany today, which will be hosting the G20 summit starting tomorrow. SWAT teams unleashed water cannon on anti-capitalist protesters after the black-hooded demonstrators went on a rampage. Police say a mother suspected of fatally stabbing four of her children, and the children's father was the Spanish-speaking 911 caller who reported the crime. Happened this morning in the Atlanta suburb of Loganville, Georgia. At $46.5 billion, U.S. trade deficit dropped about 2% in May. American exports rising to their highest level since April 2015. A lower close for Wall Street. The Dow fell 158 points. The Nasdaq dropped 61. And the S&P down 23 points at the closing bell. 
More details at srnnews.com. Well, Carl, back with three more questions you were about to ask that I already have the answers to. Yes, it's about midway through the summer, but you're already thinking, wouldn't it be nice if school is about to start back again? Yes, you still are struggling with the idea of sending your child back to the school they attended last year when you know it's not right for them. And yes, there is still time for you to go to ChristianTuitions.com for half-off tuition for your first year at an amazingly great Christian school. Learn more and find the school that's right for you at ChristianTuitions.com. ChristianTuitions.com. Sarasota Christian is a faith-based Christian school, instilling values in children, pre-K to 12th grade. My name is Paul, and I have two children that attend Sarasota Christian School. The Christian environment is really critical, especially in the elementary years. Having God in the classroom is, is just absolutely critical. We specifically chose Sarasota Christian because we had a lot of both family and friends in the area that spoke very highly of the school in terms of the character of the staff and the way that the student body is treated. You are basically shown and demonstrated the, the morals and the character that will serve you well for the rest of your life. The academic environment at the Sarasota Christian has also been excellent. Uh, we always notice that our kids academically are at or above the same level that their peers would be in other schools. Send your child to Sarasota Christian School. Visit sarasotachristian.org. That's sarasotachristian.org. Bill Bunkley here for my friends at EDI Travel. If you're a pastor of a church or a leader of an organization who has ever dreamed about leading a trip to the Holy Land, be sure to consult with the professionals at EDI Travel, just named again for the third year in a row, the very best Holy Land tour company by TripAdvisor. EDI Travel will start with what your group wants to see and customize your own very special tour. All-inclusive tour packages are EDI's specialty. The price for your trip covers everything. Flights, ground transportation, accommodations, tax, tips, and admissions, leaving you and your group with no surprises. Whether your group is first-time or returning travelers, they are the professionals who make the experience great for everyone. Set your sights on Jerusalem, Nazareth, Bethlehem, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and much, much more. Call now to get your EDI trip planned today at 727-460-1225. That's 727-460-1225. Hey, I'm Dr. Suzanne Foley. And I'm Dr. Raul Serrano. And we are your co-hosts from Health From Within Radio. And this Saturday, Dr. Serrano is going to be bringing to us the three principles that you need to start implementing in your family's health and your family's nutrition this weekend so that your bodies can start building overall health and healing. We're excited for those three principles, and we'll see you on Saturday. Saturday mornings at 10 on Faith Talk 570 WTBN. show. I'm Carmen LaBerge filling in for Bill all this week. All right, let's talk about um let's let's talk about marijuana. Let's talk about medical marijuana. If you want to weigh in on this, the phone line's open. It's 877-943-9673. Why are we talking about medical marijuana today? Because you're thinking to yourself, I thought this conversation was mostly over. I thought we voted on this as a constitutional amendment here in the state of Florida a while back. I thought that 71% of us uh, voted to affirm Uh, The use of medical marijuana. Well, okay. So apparently John Morgan, who I think is like Morgan and Morgan. uh, So John Morgan um, 
he doesn't he thinks that people ought to be able to smoke it. He thinks that people um, thought that smoking it was included when you all voted on this as a constitutional amendment. So that's really what I want to know. I really want to know whether or not when you went and when you went to the polls, when you voted on this as a constitutional amendment, did you think you were going to get to smoke your medicine? That's that's essentially what I want to know. Um, the number here is 877-943-9673. John Morgan uh, has filed a lawsuit on behalf of you, the people of Florida. I can't say we, the people of Florida, because I, I lived here for a, a long period of time, but I'm not a we, the people of Florida anymore. So there you go. But a lawsuit has been filed on behalf of the people of Florida because John Morgan actually thinks that the people of Florida, quote, knew exactly what they were voting on. The vast majority, if not 100 percent, knew that smoke was included. So that's really the question uh, before us when 71 percent of you, 71 percent of voters, probably not 71 percent of you listening right now, but maybe 71 percent of voters last year in a statewide ballot constitutional amendment um, backed medical marijuana. Uh, did you know, did you think, were you under the illusion that you were going to get to smoke your medicine? All right, I got Karen from Clearwater on the line, but she wants to talk about Scientology, so we're going to back up to the Scientology conversation. Karen, welcome to the Bill Bunkley Show. Thank you very much for uh, speaking to me. So listen, um, I appreciate your recognition that a key principle in our society in America is religious tolerance. It's embodied in the Constitution and the First Amendment, of course, because it was so important, and you seem like an intelligent and rational person, so I'm, I'm very concerned about how you've characterized Scientology. I really appreciate that you recognize the principle and that you think religious discrimination must have been involved, and I think so too, but I am concerned about how you characterize Scientology, and it makes me think that you probably don't know have any personal experience with it. You know, I don't know if you've ever read a book Karen, by Ron Karen, Hubbard. I will meet you there tomorrow, and you can give me an inside tour. You name the time, and I will be there, and you can take me on an internal tour, and you can let me see what happens behind the scenes. You're, you're on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop okay. you back to my producer. And I would he's love gonna, to do that. All right. There you go. you got a deal. Okay. All right. All right, friends. Um <laughs> So so there you go. We're going to find out what goes on inside the building in Scientology tomorrow. Karen has promised me a personal behind-the-scenes tour of everything that happens there. So that ought to make tomorrow's show interesting. All right, friends. Um, so there you have it. That's Also tomorrow we're going to be talking to John Stenberger. Uh, you know him. He is a friend of, of this program, um, and we look forward to talking to, with him about some religious liberty issues here in uh, here in Florida, we're going to be talking about a couple of lawsuits that have been filed, one in relationship to education here in Florida. Broward County has filed a lawsuit against the state in relationship to the state's new education plan that opens the way for uh, tax-funded, tax basically, vouchers for charter schools. Some folks are upset about that. Uh, Broward County has initiated a lawsuit in relationship to that. But this, uh, this lawsuit that we were just starting a conversation about was actually filed by John Morgan of Morgan & Morgan. Apparently, he's also going to run for governor of Florida, um, talking about pitching his hat into what looks like it's going to be a fairly crowded field. Uh, and so we will talk with John Stenberger more about this John Morgan lawsuit tomorrow. We'll talk with him about uh, the lawsuit related to the education plan here in Florida. But if you, if you particularly, I mean, I'd really love to talk to you if you voted in favor of the constitutional amendment 
related to the medical use of marijuana here in Florida. If you're if you are part of the 71 percent of Florida voters who voted to approve the medical use of marijuana, I want to know when you voted, did you did you think did you think that you were going to get to smoke it? Did you think that smoking your medicine was the way this was going to work? And some of you are saying to yourself, well, how else is medical marijuana dispensed? Okay, well, actually, apparently medical marijuana in most places is not smoked. I didn't really know that either, but there you go. So uh, John Morgan says, no, no, people thought they were going to get to smoke it. And uh, and so that's what that lawsuit is about. And we will get a lot more information on that subject tomorrow from John Stenberger. All right, I want to uh, give a little attention today to Charlie Crist because he is a busy guy. He's just what I'm going to describe as a busy guy. Um, I'm not necessarily uh, a fan of, well, the way that over time he has uh, somewhat changed his stripes. But he is the uh, a first-term Democratic U.S. Republican, I mean Republican, uh, representative, a first-term Democratic U.S. representative. His name is Charlie Crist. Uh, and the headline here is that he's raised more than five, $550,000 between April 1st and June 30th for his uh, for his next campaign. Um, but he also, just in the last couple of days, uh, sold his $1.5 million house in Pinellas County. Um, and so he's got a lot going on. Uh, he had an event today in St. Petersburg to uh, discuss and talk about addressing issues of concern to African-American constituents. Uh, but I want to remind you that last month he co-sponsored a measure to designate July the 12th, all right, July the 12th as a national day of civility. So July the 12th is coming up, and you might say to yourself, well, why, why did they pick July the 12th? Well, they picked July the 12th because Matthew 7, verse 12 says, therefore, all things whatsoever uh, you would do, do them to me. So it's the golden rule. And um, whatever you, you know, do to others, do unto me is Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So that's why they picked July the 12th to be the day of civility. And so um, particularly on this day when we are acknowledging that Steve Scalise has been downgraded to serious condition and readmitted to um, to the ICU in the hospital in Washington, D.C., we want to recognize that the conversation about civility and the conversation about our concern for one another and our concern about uh, the way we treat one another in this country and the tone uh, needs to change. Well, those are all things that uh, that Representative Charlie Crist is concerned about. And that's just it's just like reading off of a script for him. So he says this. It's obvious we need to be kinder. We need to be nicer. Uh, we need to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. He said it at a news conference. And he said, we've all learned. Uh, we all learned it as little kids growing up. Now, that is, for me, the big question. Are our kids today learning that growing up? Are kids today learning what Charlie Crist says we all learned when we were growing up, that you do unto others as you would have them do unto you? He says, I think that along the way that seems to have been forgotten, and I think that it's important that we have these reminders, and we need to actually do it every day, all 365 days. We need to practice the golden rule every day. I agree with that. Um, I agree with the principle that we do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Um, and so 
I set that before you. I set that before you in terms of conversations about civility, conversations about the restoration of of speech, our willingness to talk to one another, our willingness to drive across the bridge and check out what somebody else is doing, even if we're pretty sure we already uh, we already disagree with what's going on. But we got to have a willingness to talk. We got to have a willingness to engage. Uh, and so, civil discourse and uh, and even the maintenance of of tolerance in our culture is dependent upon our ability to talk with one another, uh, to treat one another as we would want to be treated if the roles were reversed. All right, friends. Um, one one more quick story uh, here in this in this segment. So some of you will remember the story of Ebony Wilkerson. Ebony Wilkerson, uh, a few years ago, drove her SUV into the ocean with her children in the car. And and she actually was not ever convicted of anything because uh, she got off on um, what we would call an insanity defense. Right. Uh, She is going to be granted a conditional release from the mental health hospital. Uh, Actually, she's been granted. Let me rephrase that. She's been granted a conditional release from the mental health hospital. Uh, during a court appearance on Thursday afternoon. So I think that this was actually granted a week ago, but yesterday after reviewing the two medical opinions, um, it actually it actually took effect. So you will remember that Ebony Wilkerson um, had her kids in the car, and she drove down the beach in Daytona Beach, in the section of the beach that you're allowed to drive on, and then she just drove into the ocean. And her children certainly were under the impression that their mother was trying to kill them and intended to kill them. Um, a judge ruled that she was uh, insane at the time. Uh, and so, um, you know, this made headlines back in March of 2014. She was then pregnant with her fourth child. Um, I'm just curious how people are responding to this. Apparently, these children live with their dad in South Carolina. Uh, and so Miss Wilkerson will not immediately have access to her children. But I just, you know, I'm just wondering uh, how people are responding to the fact that here's a person who has a verified mental illness or mental health issue. Um, she is apparently not uh, a person who is responsible to take her medication regularly. And so she needs to be in a facility where that is managed. And so how do we imagine that after they release her, from uh, this mental from this mental hospital, how do we imagine that she's going to manage and function uh, in the world on her own? So I, I just I lift this up because mental health is an, has got to be an ongoing concern for each of us and all of us. We're people who uh, we got to have better answers to the question uh, to the questions of mental health and mental health concerns than we have now. Um, and if you're interested in more information and equipping on that particular subject, I've got a bunch of stuff posted. Uh, at reconnectwithcarmen.com on the subject of mental health and mental health intervention and things that, in particular, Christians can do um, to to engage on that particular subject. So I would lift that uh, lift that up to you as an option. All right, uh, I didn't know that I was going to get an invitation to uh, to Clearwater by uh, by inviting you guys to call in on this subject. So I'm excited. So I'm going to be able to tell you that tomorrow during the show. Um, I'll be able to let you know what I learned by going to the Church of Scientology and taking a tour. Uh, and so uh, I, look, I look forward to briefing you in on that tomorrow. Well, and again, we're going to have John Stemberger on with us tomorrow as well. I'm also slated to uh, do, a, do a little bit of a pre-recorded interview for you 
um, from the Democratic National Committee and their approach to the health care bill and what they're working on. So there you go. Tomorrow's show is going to be jam-packed. You're not going to want to miss it. This is Carmen LaBerge sitting in for Bill Bunkley, and this is The Bill Bunkley Show. We'll be right back. If you're drowning in IRS debt and can't afford to pay, then you need to take advantage of special IRS tax programs that are available and free yourself from IRS collection efforts once and for all. Due to the financial hardship consumers are facing during the decline in the U.S. economy, the Internal Revenue Service has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems. An open phone line has been established by Community Tax for consumers to call and see if they qualify. Take down this number or store it in your cell phone, but call the Community Tax Helpline at 800 461 If you owe back taxes to the IRS and cannot afford to pay them back, or even if you have years of unfiled tax returns, there's no need to fear anymore. But you have to call the Community Tax Helpline today at 800-461-8937 for the help that you need. Don't take on the IRS alone. They can attack your wages, savings, pension, home, and even your Social Security check. Call 800-461-8937 for your free consultation and to see if you qualify. That's 800-461-8937. Law, Liberty, Justice. This is Law and Justice with Jay Sacula. I have a rental unit above our garage, and um, we would like to qualify as much as possible the person that we have uh, living so close to us in that unit. And I'd like to be able to know, can I ask if they are a Christian? Can I incorporate the Ten Commandments into the rental agreement? What can I do in that regard? The Supreme Court of the various states have said, is, look, under your sincerely held religious beliefs, you cannot be compelled to rent your property to someone who's living in an arrangement that you find morally offensive. And there's been good support there. Now, when it comes to denying someone the ability to rent commercial real estate based on their religion, uh, the courts have gone pretty much the other way. Once you've entered commercial enterprises, the, the laws against discrimination apply and they should. Visit us at ACLJ.org. That's ACLJ.org. Looking for more than just a job? Searching for a career path with a higher calling? With a company who wants you for your life skills as well as your job skills? Find a career you can believe in. Find your true calling at ChristianJobs.com. ChristianJobs.com is the largest Christian employment website with thousands of job listings in the Christian sector. Get connected with outstanding employers that share your values and understand there's more to you than what's in your resume. I've always wanted to focus my energies in the 
Christian community because, to me, having a career means more than just a paycheck. ChristianJobs.com allowed me to apply all my skills in a meaningful way. Find your true dream job today at ChristianJobs.com. I found not only my dream job, but my calling at ChristianJobs.com. Once you see the long list of quality job opportunities available, you'll never settle for just a job again. Visit ChristianJobs.com. ChristianJobs.com. Affordable family fun is what you get with every Clearwater Threshers game at Spectrum Field. See the stars of tomorrow playing today in the Florida State League. There's lots of promotions, too, including Saturday fireworks, concerts, Dollar Tuesdays, Feeding Frenzy Mondays, Tijuana Flats Taps and Tacos Thursdays, and Brunch on Sundays. Find out more in the complete schedule by going to their website at threshersbaseball.com. Threshers Baseball. Get hooked. Weeknights at 6, it's time for Living Truth with Pastor Ken Whitten. You remember the movie It's a Wonderful Life? You remember George Bailey talking to the angel Clarence? He said, well, we don't use money up in heaven. He said, well, it comes in pretty handy down here. Yeah, because it does come in pretty handy down here. But it doesn't make you more satisfied. Living Truth with Pastor Ken Whitten. Weeknights at 6 on Faith Talk 570 WTBN. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Welcome to the Bill Bunkley Show. I'm Carmen LaBerge filling in for Bill. It's great to be here with you. All right. I'm hoping that some of my military friends out there have uh, Bill's show on speed dial on their phones. The number is 877-943-9673. I'm going to want to talk to active or retired uh, members of the military here during this story. The number is 877-943-9673. Here's what's going on. The U.S. Army is telling female soldiers to accept having naked men in their showers. There you go. Now, this headline could have gone the other way, but I guess they are assuming that it would be uh, somehow less offensive to tell male soldiers that they were going to have to accept uh, undressed women in their showers. So here's what's going on. The U.S. Army is instructing uh, soldiers to accept having people in their showers and changing areas who are transitioning but still have the genitalia with which they were born. So this is according to new training documents that have been released. So here's what's uh, here's how this unfolds. As the Pentagon began allowing transgender service members to openly identify as such and make changes in their military identification, which all of this started last October, other service members are then forced to undergo mandatory training and live with these policy changes. So uh, I'd love to talk with members of the military, either active duty or retired. Um, Well, or there's a bunch of you that aren't active duty and aren't retired, but you've served. So I don't know how that all works, but give me a call if you're a military-related person and you want to talk about this. The number here is 877-943-9673. You can set me straight on all things military. The U.S. Navy announced last year that it would... Uh, force its sailors to go through mandatory training on the new transgender policy. And last month, uh, the Army uh, also began conducting compulsory training on the matter. So we now have some of that compulsory training material, thanks to James Hassan. He's a former Army captain and a veteran of the war in Afghanistan, a law student at the University of Virginia. And he obtained this Tier 3 transgender training PowerPoint and accompanying lesson plan, and he posted it. And so you can actually go to The Federalist and read all about this if you're interested. Here's essentially what 
uh, what he says. The force-wide presentation sheds quite a bit of light on the implications of the rule change on transgender service members. The policy prioritizes subjective feelings over combat readiness and inverts military order by placing the needs of individuals over the well-being of their units. Now, for those of us who are not in the military, it is really, really helpful for us to uh, understand from your perspective what all of that means and how uh, how we might imagine life uh, life in the military, bathrooms, shower facilities, billeting. I don't know what billeting is, so somebody needs to call me and, t- and just in- inform me on that. So now that we're going to have these transgender soldiers, which, by the way, all you have to do is declare that you're transgender. Uh, there's no accompanying surgery uh, included. So this does not necessarily include surgical treatment, which is why uh, the folks that are in the shower certainly look like men. All right. Hey, Robert from Tampa. I'd love for you to weigh in on this conversation. Yeah, it's, it's pretty sad. Um, that's, things like this is the reason I took my retirement and finished up. And it's it's uh, it's pretty sickening. I, you know, you want to be a country that's going to be blessed by God. I don't know how God's going to, he could ever bless a country that thinks that's okay. Tell us about your uh, where where did you serve in the military? Which branch of the military did you serve in, Robert? Uh, Army, and then I retired in the Air Force. Okay, so uh, so tell me, so one of the things that this article says um, is that uh, in the Army's personnel database is referred to as DEERS. and so what uh-huh. they're saying is that a person can switch their gender marker in DEERS, and that's basically the paperwork that that makes them no longer, let's say, a male member of the military and suddenly a female member of the military? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm familiar with the DEERS program. But it's, it's. Uh, I, I think I was hoping with this new administration that we could get that turned around and get back to being normal again. So I'm, I'm praying that's going to get resolved somehow. Robert, thank you so much for your input. I would love a return to normalcy as well. Thanks, thanks so much for your service to our country and for your phone call today. Angel in Tampa, what do you have to say about uh, this military story? That's a, that's a, I used to say a formula for chaos. Look, I was a drill sergeant for the Army, although I was a Marine first. Uh, my son tells me stories that when they deployed, he was in the Navy, the military female, whether they were married or single, they came back pregnant on a six-month float, and that's that. And that's a long time ago. Uh, right now, if they're gonna, if they, if they're going to uh, allow females and males to shower, that, that that that's wrong. You're not supposed to be in that kind of predicament. Like the earlier caller, it's it's very sad. This is uh, this is not part of the mission. Angel, thank you so much for your service to our country. Please thank your son for his service to our, our country as well, and thank you for your phone call today at the Bill Bunkley Show. Yeah, this is the third time I call. I've been I know. About this, I know. know. I've talked to you before. Uh, I appreciate it. We both went to Plan High yes. School. We're like old pals. Yes, my children went to Plan. Yeah, just, I love it. All right, uh, friends, I look forward to be being back here with you tomorrow. We got a full uh, plan for tomorrow's show, so don't go anywhere. Uh, The next hour, you're going to, uh, for those of you who are with us on on the faith side of things, you're going to hear the reconnect with Carmen LaVerge. I look forward to seeing you back here tomorrow on the Bill Bunkley Show. Have a great night, and God bless.
I am Professor Nathaniel Burke from the University of Farmers, Hallowed Institute of Higher Insurance Learning, and this is a pop quiz. True or false? To save money on auto insurance, you must forego an agent and go it alone. Solo. Wits against the world. No compass. The answer is false. A farmer's agent is trained by me to save you money. Call a farmer's agent to see how you can save on auto insurance. Find your local agent at Farmers.com. We are insurance. We are Farmers. Coverage not available in all areas. Saturday afternoons at 4, it's time for Gaining Ground with Dr. Evan Burroughs. God was the one that said, I will provide for you what you need. And he provided a woman, a wife, not a honey, not a hookup, but a wife. Gaining Ground with Dr. Evan Burroughs. Saturday afternoons at 4 on Faith Talk 570 WTBN. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at letstalkfaith.com. A service of the Salem Media Group. Breaking news this hour from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. President Trump is now in Germany, where he'll meet tomorrow with Vladimir Putin. The president's refused to condemn Russia's election interference. Stephen Piper, a former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, says he doesn't have much choice tomorrow. He has to say... You know, this can't be repeated. There will be consequences. It likely won't matter much in the room. There's going to be no meeting of minds. Putin's not going to say, okay, I'll not do it again. Putin will deny it. But Piper says it will at least put a marker down with the Russians. Not confronting Putin would have its own consequences at home. He'll come back and be hammered by the media. He'll be hammered by the Congress, including Republicans in Congress. Sagar Magani, Washington. Meanwhile, in Germany, organizers of a protest against the G20 summit have declared the march over after trouble broke out at the start of the demonstration in the northern city of Hamburg. Officers used water cannons and pepper spray to disperse black-hooded protesters who attacked police with bottles, stones, and other objects and set fires in the street. Defense Secretary James Mattis today again warned North Korea that it is risking conflict in the region with its ICBM missile tests. I do not believe this capability in itself brings us closer to war because the president's been very clear and the Secretary of State's been very clear that we are leading with diplomatic and economic efforts. But he says that if the North starts one, severe consequences would follow. Venezuela's security forces have arrested at least 102 members of the armed forces alleged crimes such as rebellion and abandonment of duty since a wave of protests began against President Nicolas Maduro's government in early April. The arrests appear to lend credence to claims that as Venezuela's crisis deepens, the military is facing growing signs of doubt amongst its soldiers. On Wall Street, the Dow down by 158 points, the Nasdaq dropped 61. More on these stories at townhall.com. Bill Bunkley here. Have you thought about how many people were involved in your last car or truck purchase? The salesperson, the sales manager, the general manager, finance and insurance managers, and on and on it goes. Getting through the sale can be a real grind. Not so at Rivard Buick GMC. When you buy from Rivard, the process is so streamlined that from the handshake on throughout the entire transaction, even finance and insurance, you work with one person and one person only. No other dealership does it this way. Such a refreshing way to buy a vehicle. And one of the family owners is always on hand should you need that special Rivard touch. Rivard is Florida's largest selling GMC Sierra dealer with over 100 in stock at all times. Check out the savings today at RivardBuickGMC.com. 
Once again, that website is RevardBuickGMC.com. Or visit Rivard on Route 60 in Brandon. And when you do, tell them Bill Bunkley sent you. There's a culture war going on in this country. We can no longer remain silent on the issues that affect us all. Decisions we make now will determine our future. But how do we engage with the culture in a way that honors Jesus? How do we rise above the noise to know what is right and what is true? It's time to bring God back into the conversation. It's time to reconnect. Here's Carmen. Welcome, friends. I'm Carmen LaVerge, and this is The Reconnect, where we are speaking the truth on the real issues of the day in real time. So how do we do that? How do we get God back into the conversations of the day? How do we enter into the conversation as ambassadors of Jesus Christ? How do we speak the mind of Christ on the matters of the day? I mean, let's face it. People don't need just another piece of our mind, but they very much need the peace of the mind of Christ. So how do we give that to them? Well, first of all, we have to know what the mind of Christ is on the matters of the day, and that starts with our own uh, personal time uh, in the Word with the Lord. So certainly encourage you to be engaged in the study of the Scriptures and have yourself in a church where the Bible is taught with uh, winsome authority. I would encourage you to uh, be a person who is cultivating the mind of Christ by the active work of the Holy Spirit in your own life as you seek to discern the mind of Christ on the matter of the day. If you want some help with that, we would love to connect with you online at reconnectwithcarmen.com. While you're there, you can Sign up for our email newsletter. We'll send you lots of information and commentary that we don't have time always to share here uh, on the air, but you might find of benefit to you. You could go to Facebook. You could like the Reconnect page on Facebook. You could always let me know what you're thinking about. I'm on Twitter at Carmen LaBerge. All right, folks, we do have a great new resource posted on the website for you today. Uh, we, we had Adam Barr on the show last week. Uh, talking about how do we how do we actually tangibly love our gay friends without compromising the truth of the scriptures? And following up on that conversation, we have a guest blog from Adam posted at reconnectwithcarmen.com, and it's called Compassion Without Compromise, Three Tough Questions Showing Jesus' Love uh, to Our Gay Friends. So I encourage you to go to reconnectwithcarmen.com and get that new resource that's posted there today. All right, I have a little cleanup. It's like cleanup on aisle five. Uh, from the show yesterday. So following yesterday's show, I got a listener listener feedback saying, hey, hey, just give me the straight answer to the question. Would Jesus bake the cake? So um, apparently I was not I was uh, I was not clear. So let me just give the straight answer to the question. Would Jesus bake the cake? The answer is no. Jesus would not bake the cake. What cake am I talking about? Well, Jack Phillips is the cake baker who declined to bake a specialty cake for a same-sex wedding. So this is a case that the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to take up, and so it is big talk, uh, not just in religious liberty circles, but it is big talk across um, social media in terms of LGBTQ advocacy. You're going to see references to it in all kinds of places from all kinds of people. And there was actually an episode of The View, which is a television program, that featured a segment with Jack Phillips and his attorney. During that segment, uh, during that conversation, Joy Bear, who is one of the hosts of The View, asked the question, would Jesus have baked the cake? And Phillips and his attorney both contended that Jesus would not have baked the cake. Joy Bear insisted that she was speaking for Jesus and declared that 
Jesus would certainly have baked the cake. Now, in order, the quest- in order to answer the question, would Jesus have baked the cake, uh, you got to know Jesus. And not just any Jesus and not some genie Jesus, but the real Jesus. When Jack Phillips says that he cannot bake a cake because of his sincerely held religious beliefs, those beliefs are based on something. And in this case, those beliefs are based on someone. So would that someone, specifically Jesus, have baked the cake? Short answer, no. Follow-up question, why not? Well, because Jesus always does the will of the Father. He literally, and I mean literally, never does anything apart from the will of the Father. Jesus cannot be separated from who he is, fully God and fully man, which means that Jesus and the Father are one. Not, not, not in some fanciful, mystical sense, but literally, they are one. They share one mind. They have one will. They have one redemptive plan. They are of one spirit. Okay, so now you're going to say, well, I thought Jesus loved people. I thought Jesus, you know, Jesus is the guy that turned, uh, you know, he went to a wedding and he he was a partier and he turned the water into wine. Well, okay, that, that, that's just proof of what? That's proof that he liked to celebrate other people's joy? Well, the, the story you'd be referencing there in that conversation comes from the second chapter of the Gospel of John. It's known as the miracle at the wedding at Cana. And yes, Jesus does turn water into wine, and it's an extravagant demonstration of his power over the elemental things of life, right? You and I cannot change water into wine. It just doesn't work that way. But it's also an extravagant act of love to the couple who, ha- who would have been horribly embarrassed if the wine had run out. It would have been a cult- cultural uh, catastrophe. It's, an, it's also a lesson in the abundance of God, in the abundance of God's grace. It, it wasn't just some wine. It was great wine. But I don't think this should be this should be taken to mean that Jesus is like a genie who just does our bidding. Nor that Jesus would affirm any definition of marriage other than God's design for human life. Why? Well, because Jesus and the Father are one. They're of one mind. They're of one spirit. They're of one will. Jesus is not going to depart from what God has said. Well, how can we know that God only wants one kind of marriage? How can we know that this is what God thinks is good? Well, because the Bible tells us so. Jesus affirms it. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is answering a question about divorce, and he positively affirms marriage by God's design. He actually quotes the second chapter of Genesis. He affirms that in the beginning, the creator made them male and female, and he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Jesus is referring all the way back to what we've called on this show the good old days, the good old days of creation when everything was right with the world, literally right with the world, a creation uh, for which Jesus was present and in which he was fully active. That's right. Jesus, as the second member of the Trinity, was present and participating in creation of humanity in his image as male and female created in the image of God. So when the Gospel of John says that in the beginning was the word, and then describes Jesus as the word made flesh to dwell among us, the Bible is pointing to Jesus' ontological reality as eternally present, the second member of the Trinity. Say to yourself, all right, that is a mouthful. Okay, well, here's the deal. The same God who speaks in Genesis is speaking in Matthew 19. 
That's the real issue in the question of whether or not Jesus would bake the cake. If someone does not understand and acknowledge the reality of who Jesus is, then they think they can put words in his mouth and have him conform to their desires. If you know and acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of the living God, the eternal second member of the Trinity, that he and the Father are one, then then you know he wouldn't bake the cake. But better than baking the cake to celebrate a particularly sinful proclivity, Jesus actually does one better. And this is where I think I led people to be confused yesterday on the show because, you know, I said, you know, uh, I might have misspoken, but here's the deal. Jesus wouldn't bake the cake, but he does offer the bread. He offers himself as the bread of life. So no cake, but bread. And to understand this concept, you got to read the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. Start at verse 28, read through verse 69. Yes, it's a long passage. But nowhere near as long as the briefs that are being prepared right now for argumentation before the Supreme Court of the United States as to whether or not Jack Phillips should have baked the cake. So in the end, no matter the social or financial cost, if Jesus wouldn't have baked the cake, then his followers, including Jack Phillips, as a Christian, cannot in good conscience bake the cake either. So there you go. That's my little cleanup on aisle five from yesterday. Uh, Jesus would not have baked the cake. All right, uh, I'm going to jump to a story about Hobby Lobby that is uh, that is very interesting, and you should know about it, and it's I would just describe it as about Bible smuggling. There you go. It's a Bible smuggling story, uh, smuggling the Word of God out of places uh, like Iraq, smuggling in them into the United States, and getting into a heap of trouble for it. So here's the story. Hobby Lobby has been fined $3 million over smuggled Iraqi artifacts. Now, I'm wondering if if instead it had said there um, smuggled Bible artifacts would have made any difference. Not sure that it would have. This is from uh, the Associated Press, Oklahoma City. Federal prosecutors say Hobby Lobby story, stores has agreed to pay a $3 million federal fine and forfeit thousands of ancient Iraqi artifacts. Hey, they're, they're actually little tiny little pieces of scripture, uh, stone into which the word of God Uh, was carved at a point in time when there was no paper available. The government alleges that these uh, artifacts smuggled from the Middle East into the United States were, quote, intentionally mislabeled. So I think that ultimately it's like mail fraud. It's probably what they're most in trouble for here. Improper documentation seems to appear a lot in this this particular um, allegation from the federal government against Hobby Lobby. Hobby Lobby executed an agreement to purchase over 5,500 artifacts in December of 2010 for $1.6 million. Uh, those, those pieces of rock, in these little fragments into which letters and words uh, were inscribed thousands of years ago, uh, is what's at issue. Apparently some of them, some of the artifacts uh, should have been labeled as having come from uh, the UAE, and instead they were labeled as having come from Turkey, This sentence is really confusing. Apparently, some of them uh, were received by Hobby Lobby from an Israeli dealer accompanied by false declarations stating that the country of origin was Israel. Well, it's an Israeli dealer, and the country of origin was labeled as Israel. So I'm guessing that they recognize that these, in this case, these clay boule, ancient forms of inscribed identification, must have come from uh, Iraq instead of from Israel. So this this is what's going on. 
And there's been a statement issued by Hobby Lobby President Steve Green saying that the company cooperated with the government and should have exercised more oversight and carefully questioned with the acqu- how the acquisitions were handled. Green acknowledged that Hobby Lobby began acquiring a variety of historical Bibles and other artifacts in 2009. You, you, you know if, you're, if you've been a listener to the Reconnect for any length of time at all that uh, the Bible Museum, the Museum of the Bible, is going to open in November. Uh, I, I've ad- openly, publicly admitted I'm a big fan. I've already taken multiple you know, hard hat tours. I can hardly wait uh, for it to open up and for the American public and the world to have access to this great book and have an in- enhanced understanding of this great book, this culture-changing book. We're going to get to a conversation uh, here in a minute about Western civilization and about the preservation of Western civilization. The president of the United States gave a speech today uh, related to whether or not um, we're going to actually work very hard to preserve Western civilization. It's, it's under threat. Are we going to work to preserve it? Well, the Bible is a huge part of the answer to that question. Uh, and the Museum of the Bible, in my view, uh, is an opportunity for not only the Word of God to be preserved, but for it to go forth in new new ways to new generations. So this is all a part of this larger conversation. And I guess for me, the question to the federal government would be, all right, once you seize these, these thousands of artifacts, you're certainly not going to return them to Iraq because it's a mess. There'd be nowhere to put them. So any chance that maybe you could just loan them to the Museum of the Bible? I'm just thinking. All right, this, that's my... Uh, that's my my hope for outcome in all of this mess. Uh, for those of you interested in whether or not the Bible is still smuggled into and out of countries, the answer is it is. You can check out Open Doors USA or Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, you can check out BibleSmuggling.com, uh, where, where you can just learn all kinds of stuff about the fact that the Bible is still smuggled in and out of places. During the Cold War, uh, the name Brother Andrew might, uh, might pique your uh, memory. He's responsible for basically smuggling the Word of God into, you know, behind the Iron Curtain. People have smuggled the Word of God into China, and the, uh, and the underground church in China has literally exploded. So what you and I take for granted, access to this book, access, you know, to it in our hands via Bible apps and access to it online and unlimited access to it in, I mean, you know, thanks to the Gideons. I mean, you, you got one in every hotel room that you've ever slept in. Uh, we distribute them widely and broadly. The Word of God is easily accessible in the United States of America. That is not true around the world. There are places where the Word of God is not easily accessible. And so we certainly want to acknowledge and celebrate and recognize the ancient nature of uh, the preservation of the Word of God over time and our responsibility in this generation to see that it goes forth into the world in a way that people can respond to it, recognizing that the Word of God never returns void, but always accomplishes that for which God sends it forth. Okay, I have no way to make a, uh, to, to make a casual or easy transition to the next story. So this is just a hard transition. I'll, I'll make the hard transition this way. So this is the Reconnect. I'm so glad you're with me today. We've got great resources posted for you at reconnectwithcarmen.com. We are seeking to speak truth on the real issues in real time. So here is a real issue Oh, brace yourselves. The U.S. Army has told um, female soldiers to accept having men in the showers. Now, it's curious to me that the, the headline is, is put that way because the reality is the U.S. Army is telling all of its soldiers to accept having naked people of the other gender in the shower. I mean, that's essentially what's going on here. So what is this story about and why are we talking about it? Well, this story is about 
how transgenderism and how non-binary uh, pe- people who declare themselves to be non-binary uh, are wreaking havoc in the institutions of our country. And the question of whether or not uh, the U.S. military is a good place to um, mess around in terms of these kinds of social experiments, uh, I would say that it's not. Okay, The, our, the, the U.S. military has f- profoundly more important things to be doing than um, spending something uh, upwards of 40 hours is this la- latest training um, this latest training regiment in, that these active duty officers are being subjected to in order to um, train them how to deal with all this. So here we go. The U.S. Army is instructing its soldiers to accept having uh, people in the showers and the changing areas who are, quote, transitioning but still have the genitalia with which they were born. So that's basically what's going on here. So these training documents have been released. There's a PowerPoint. There's an accompanying um, document. Uh, and, and so as the Pentagon began allowing transgender service members to openly identify and, and make changes in their military identification last October, other service members um, have basically been forced to undergo mandatory training, not only on the policy changes, but how you are going to have to live under these new policies. The U.S. Navy announced last year that it would force sailors to go through mandatory training on the new cha- transgender policy. And just last month, uh, the Army reported that it is also conducting compulsory training on the matter. So on Wednesday, just yesterday, James Hassan, who's a former Army captain and a veteran of the war in Afghanistan, he's a law student at the University of Virginia, he posted a piece on The Federalist. And in that piece uh, are links to this Tier 3 transgender training PowerPoint presentation and accompanying lesson plan that's being used by the Army in mandatory transgender training sessions. He says the force-wide presentation sheds quite a bit of light on the implications of the rule change on transgender service members. The policy prioritizes subjective feelings over combat readiness. It inverts military order by placing the needs of individuals over the well-being of the unit. So here's uh, essentially uh, what's happening. Service members in the U.S. military can switch their gender marker in DEERS. DEERS is the... uh, uh, is the way that uh, you're identified in the military. It's just the identification system. So uh, it's the Army's personnel database. So once you've changed your gender marker in DEERS, the Army's personnel database, um, really that's all you have to do. It's a matter of paperwork. You simply declare that you are the other gender. No uh, gender reassignment surgery is, is necessary. The gender transition is considered complete once a person has, quote, achieved stability in the preferred gender. They may have no actual, they may not be living outwardly as a person of the other gender. They just may feel in their heart that they're a person of the other gender. Well, whatever your DEERS designation says in the Army's database, that's the shower you have to use. That's the barracks you're going to live in. Um, that's, that's your billeting. The, that, you are going to use the facilities related to the gender that is in your DEERS designation. So um, once a soldier officially changes their gender through basically paperwork, from that point on, this transgendered soldier is expected to adhere to all military standards associated with their, quote, gender. Here's the challenge. Their their anatomy does not line up with their internal feelings about themselves. And that means that they are in the shower and they are in the barracks with people of whose physical characteristics are of the opposite sex. There may be no easier way to say that. Okay. 
So uh, the fact that this is working itself out in real life in it, it has got to be creating absolute just chaos um, in military units. And that is unfortunate because our military readiness is already a huge question uh, before us. And so in, in these days um, of rising stress with North Korea and other bad actors around the globe, let's, let's certainly be praying for our military servicemen and women and I don't know, somehow standing up against the chaos of thought, the confusion of thought that has led us down this path in our culture to, um, to embrace feelings over facts uh, in terms of, of who we are as people made in the image of God, male and female, uh, intentionally by God in this particular way. All right, I have an update for you um, I, ho- I had hoped to have the, the actual statement from the hospital because it's supposed to be released this afternoon. So what I have is actually from this morning at 9 a.m. Uh, and this is an update on House Majority Whip Steve Scalise. You'll remember that on June the 14th, while at the congressional, uh, while at a practice for the congressional baseball game, uh, he was shot. Several other um, members of, of Congress and people from their staff were wounded in various and sundry other ways, but um, Steve Scalise was certainly the most seriously injured uh, of the group. Uh, he was grievously wounded, uh, is the way that it's described in this um, Associated Press piece. So I'll just read the first couple of paragraphs to you and let you know that he has been readmitted to the intensive care unit uh, of, of the hospital. Uh, they have downgraded his condition. Uh, down, having your having your condition downgraded at this point is never good. Be, being readmitted to the intensive care unit after being upgraded out of it on the 22nd of June um, is also not good. And the concern is that um, he has some infection of some kind. And so we don't really know the extent of it. We don't know what they're doing to uh, to deal with it. But his condition is listed as serious, and we certainly want to be praying for him uh, as he is in the intensive care unit at the MedStar Washington Hospital Center. We praying for his staff, we praying for his, uh, his sweet family, his little kids, um, and, and his congressional district in Louisiana. Let's just, just be mindful that when people agree to serve as civil servants, they literally put themselves forward in ways that you may not anticipate being called upon to sacrifice. And we don't really think about going to Washington, D.C. Uh, as missionary service and that you may be putting yourself directly in harm's way on behalf of we the people. But in this particular case, that's what happened. And so we want to lift up Steve Scalise. We want to lift up uh, other members of Congress. Certainly during this, this recess, we just want to lift up their safety and protection uh, across the country. Everybody's home in, their, you know, home in their districts or home in their states, or most of them are, and you know, people are a little crazy right now. So certainly just want to lift lift up all, each, each of them and all of them um, during this season and, and ask the Lord's protection upon them and ask certainly the healing hand of the Lord upon Steve Scalise. All right, friends, one, uh, one quick funny. Um, I'm not a sleeveless dress person. And today they've announced that you can't have sleeveless dresses on the floor of Congress anymore. So there you go. I, I guess I could go now. I mean, there, at least based on the sleeveless dress rule or no sleeveless dresses. So I appreciate that. There you go. That's my 
added little tidbit of the day. Hey, we are going to be talking to George Barna in just a minute. He's the executive director of the American Culture and Faith Institute. We're going to be talking with him about new research that he and his group have produced related to kids. If you're worried about the future, if you're worried about the impact and effects of the culture on our kids, you're not going to want to miss this conversation with George Barna. Uh, about this most recent research and the effects of culture on our kids and our perceptions of what's good for them and what's not good for them and how we might, as Christians, work toward making all of that better. Hey, friends, this is The Reconnect. It's a listener-supported show. That means that we count on people just like you to go to the website, reconnectwithcarmen.com, and donate uh, and become reconnectors. While you're there, we've got a great new resource, three tough questions about showing Jesus' love to our gay friends. Uh, and so we in- encourage you to grab that while you're there. All right, that's reconnectwithcarmen.com. I'll be right back. This is Michael Medved for townhall.com. President Trump and his supporters are absolutely right that there's a glaring contrast between the way media treat this president and the way the press handled his predecessor, Barack Obama. With Obama potentially devastating scandals, Benghazi, the IRS, Fast and Furious, the VA, never gained momentum. The press never blamed Obama personally when things went wrong in his administration. For Trump, he's blamed personally for every embarrassment or disappointment under his watch. But conservatives are wrong to suggest that the treatment of Trump is exceptional. George W. Bush and Bill Clinton also got rough handling by the press. It was the always forgiving, generally glowing treatment of Obama that was exceptional. Extraordinary, in fact. Maybe it was his image as a hip, cool dude or his historical status as the first non-white president. But media infatuation with Obama set a dangerous precedent that distorts press relations with the current administration. I'm Michael Medved. Do you remember the story of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River or Peter's words to Jesus in the midst of the storm on Galilee? The stories of our faith. Let them come alive like never before as you experience Israel. A 10-day odyssey, November 1st through 10th, during Jerusalem's 50th anniversary. You'll enjoy luxury accommodations. Most of all, the stories of our faith will come alive like never before. Experience Israel. Register today. Keywords experience Israel at letstalkfaith.com. Janae's Tropicals is your one-stop shop for fruit trees, exotic tropical plants and palms, citrus, and more. Join Janae every Saturday morning at 9.30 as she shares more than 24 years of horticultural experience and hosts other green thumb experts to give you free gardening advice. Janae will teach you to live off the land and love it. Visit Janae online at tropicalfruit.com and join her every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. on Faith Talk 570 WTBN. Online at letstalkfaith.com. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. President Trump says he's considering pretty severe things in response to North Korea's test launch of an intercontinental ballistic missile. A preemptive U.S. military blow can't be ruled out, but such a strike carries great risk and is among his unlikeliest options. Even a precise strike aimed at destroying the North's partially hidden nuclear and missile force is unlikely to stop the North from retaliating with long-range artillery that could kill stunning numbers in South Korea. 
German police say organizers of a protest against the Group of 20 summit have declared the march over after trouble broke out at the start of the march in Hamburg. Officers used water cannons and pepper spray to disperse black-hooded protesters at the event. Police say the mass protesters attacked them with bottles, stones, and other objects and set fires in the streets. On Wall Street, the Dow down by 158 points. More details at srnnews.com. Bill Bunkley here. I'll be back next Monday. But for now, let's get back to Carmen LaBurge and the Reconnect. Hey, friends, I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is the Reconnect. You are beloved. We're seeking to put God in his place here, back where he belongs, right in the middle of every conversation. So we're talking about what people are talking about. We're seeking to equip you to be an ambassador of the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. And we invite you to connect with us online at reconnectwithcarmen.com. You can like us on Facebook. You can always let me know what you're thinking about on Twitter. I'm at Carmen LaBerge. Hey, while you're at the website, we've got a great new resource posted for you there today. Uh, I guess it was last week we talked with Pastor Adam Barr uh, about... You know, how do we how do we talk with people who we love who are gay um, without compromising the truth? And so Adam actually then wrote up a blog for us. It's called Three Tough Questions About Showing Jesus Love to Our Gay Friends, and it's posted at reconnectwithcarmen.com, and we would love to share that with you today. All right, I'm excited to have back with us today George Barna. He's the executive director of the American Culture and Faith Institute. He founded the Barna Research Group back in 1984. You know them as the Barna Group. Uh, and he's been president of, of a faith development organization called Metaformation since 2009. He's probably the country's best-known pollster, um, and he's a New York Times best-selling author. He's written more than 50 books. The list goes on and on. You can check out what we're talking about today at a website called culturefaith.com. That's culturefaith.com. And you can um, connect with George on Twitter at George underscore Barna. George, welcome back to The Reconnect. Good to be with you again. So we talk a lot about parenting and cultural concerns here on the Reconnect. So I'm really thankful for um, what you have posted, what you and the American Culture and Faith Institute have been working on. Bring us up to date on your latest findings um, related to sort of what we all think about the next generation and what's happening with our kids. Well, uh, you know, as we've talked about here on the show, it's vitally important that we focus on not only developing a biblical worldview, but how and when that process takes place. And we know that most people's worldview is pretty much in place by the age of 13. So in this latest study, we were looking at, well, how do we think we're doing in terms of raising children? Is the culture helping or hurting in that respect? What are some of the things that kids are better off for being exposed to? What are some of the things that hurt them through exposure? How satisfied are we with different kinds of experiences and outcomes they have? By and large, what we were finding is that most parents in America, Christian or not, are really concerned about the environment in which kids are growing up. They look at the culture. They say that culture in America does not help children to grow up to be the kind of responsible adults that their parents and others would hope that they would become. And they think it's only going to get worse in the future. And then, of course, in the report, we outline some of the specifics related to why they think that. And, you know, for me, the question is, well, then, where's the outrage? Why aren't we doing something about this? 
if we as the adults, the people who actually control and shape that culture that we say is going to undermine the health and well-being and the development of our children, why aren't we changing it? We're the ones who have the power to do that. We're the ones who are making the assessment that it's not working. What's going on? Yeah, and I totally agree with you. I think that's exactly um, what's at issue in the culture today. I think that even people who say they believe in Jesus, even people who are born again, are not necessarily operating out of a biblical worldview. Most of us are accommodating to culture in very, very significant ways and participating in, in particularly when it comes to technology, um, we know less about it than the next generation. So we're really letting them control that end of things. Um, and those are some of the influences that as adults we recognize are, are some of the most damaging. So let's, um, let's talk about uh, some of those some of those things the perceived impact of various experiences um, what what did you all learn about that what's sort of what's good for kids in terms of of their development and what's not good for them um, and then we can return to the question of why are we not working to change it yeah sure I mean you know as we looked at more than a dozen different elements that we asked adults in this country to think about in terms of their impact on children's lives. What we found is that by a huge margin, people were saying, you know what, kids are much better off when they participate in extended family gatherings. They're much better off when they attend church services. They're much better off when they get to experience great art. They go to art exhibits. They're much better off when they have exposure to the Bible. And, you know, there were some other things that kind of fell in the middle ground, best-selling books, professional sports, uh, schooling, and, and so forth. And what was also very interesting was then down at the bottom of the list, the things that most adults say, well, when they're exposed to these things, kids are worse off for it. Well, it's all of the kinds of media that kids literally spend most of their waking hours devouring. It was things like uh, popular music current movies, websites and online content, television entertainment, social media exchanges, video games, those six things, which on average children under the age of 18 in America today spend more than eight hours a day absorbing content from those, those media. Well, most adults are saying, gosh, that's bad for them. And yet we continue to allow that environment to dictate the nature of their daily activities. All right. Did you come up with a why? Like, why? I mean, you and I recognize that that's bad. And and even adults surveyed recognize that, you know, allowing those particular um, cultural influences to be what is guiding and shaping and growing our kids for eight hours a day is is bad. It's negative. So in answer to the question of why, um, is this just, because this would be my perception of reality, and you can tell me whether or not uh, it lines up with, with the data. My perception would be that it's not that parents are unwilling. It's that parents are insufficiently equipped in terms of their own biblical literacy and in terms of their own biblical worldview. And so it's it's almost just a laziness that, well, you know, maybe they'll just turn out okay. I, I certainly think that's a vital part of it. We've also found in our studies that uh, other elements related to this is that they feel like they would be hypocritical if they were to tell their kids, well, you shouldn't be absorbing that media because they do it themselves. Hmm. And so on the one hand, they can't say, well, do as I say, not as I do, because then they will be hypocrites in a way. 
And, of course, this is a younger generation that's very commonly calling other people hypocrites because they're looking for people who are authentic and genuine, and they live what they say. So that's one issue. A second issue is that when we look at the actual parenting styles of, of today's parents, what we found is that there's a, it's kind of a laissez-faire approach where parents are not devoting a lot of time to getting involved in the nitty-gritty, the details of what's going on in their kids' lives. They'll look at their report cards. They'll look at you know, how, the kinds of friends they have. They'll look at their, their physical appearance, some of the outer things. But they're not really invested in the inner things, the character issues uh, of their children as much as perhaps some might think. And then also there's the fact that because we've got so many households where both parents are working, they come home exhausted. They don't know what their kids have been doing during the day. They don't have the energy, at least this would be the, the claim, to, to really take on their kids with a lot of these things. But, of course, that all goes back to priorities. You know, what are you committed to? What do you think is important? How are you going to use your limited resources in life if not on raising godly kids? Mm, so there's probably people listening right now who are being a little bit convicted, and um, and they're looking now for a little bit of hope. So. Where did you get your sense of hope that things might get better? And, you know, from your viewpoint, what what would move parents forward in terms of um, raising kids with a biblical worldview? Well, you know, we, we had a part in the survey where we asked what kind of information and skills and experiences they thought would be beneficial to raising great kids. And one of the things that was uh, hope-producing for me personally was to see the huge gap between born-again uh, respondents and those who are not born again when it came to things like making sure that kids know the narrative about the life of Jesus Christ. Now, most parents in America do not necessarily believe that that's useful, but we found that more than four out of five born-again parents uh, or born-again adults said that's an important thing uh, to do, almost, almost nine out of ten. Reading the Ten Commandments, same kind of thing where you had only 44% of the non-born-again people, 83% of the born-again respondents saying, yeah, that's vitally important. So some of those kinds of things, you know, even uh, more secular arguments, if you will, like exposure to the argument for sexual abstinence, the fact that we had three-quarters of the born-again adults versus barely half of the other adults saying, yeah, that's important. All right, so that's a starting place. You know, if we can start to talk with our kids about the things that matter, making sure that they don't just know that Jesus existed and you can read more about him in the Bible or maybe there's a movie you could go watch. But I mean, but really spending time getting inside the story of his life. You know, what kind of life did he live? What was he trying to accomplish? Why did he die an ugly and unjust death on the cross? What made it unjust? What would we do in a similar situation? Who would these characters who surround themselves with and devoted his three years of ministry to trying to pour himself into? What was he trying to accomplish there? What are the implications of that for us today? You know, those kinds of conversations, I think, go a long way towards not only piquing the interest of children, but getting them to begin to understand some of the fundamental principles of what the Christian faith is all about. The fact that born-again adults are saying, that's really important for kids, that's encouraging. Now we got to get them to do something about that. 
So, friends, uh, we're talking with George Barna, executive director of the American Culture and Faith Institute. You can check out what we're talking about at culturefaith.com. So, George, we actually started out this hour with a conversation about whether or not Jesus would bake the cake. And so um, I think that you're getting at exactly the the itch uh, of my audience, and that is how do we actually functionally bring God back into the conversation? And so it's not just a religious liberty conversation about whether or not a guy named Jack Phillips, who owns a cake shop, uh, should or shouldn't have to bake a cake. But whether or not, as a Christian, he's asking the question, uh, would Jesus have baked the cake? And therefore, as a follower of Jesus, should I bake the cake? Well, if we don't know who Jesus is, and we don't honestly know what Jesus has said, and we don't really know um, what Jesus came to accomplish, and we don't know that he's one with the Father, I mean, you just keep walking down the list. If we don't know those things, we are ill-equipped to even answer the question ourselves about whether or not Jesus would have baked the cake. And we certainly can't have that conversation with our kids. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people, when they hear us talk about a biblical worldview, their eyes roll or their attention begins to wander because they think, well, yeah, that's for really smart people or that's for really religious people or it's always for somebody else. But really all we're talking about here is how do you develop a philosophy of life? You've got to figure out what's meaningful to you, what's purposeful in life. What are you going to commit yourself to and how do you make those choices? And that's what the Bible is all about, is helping us to figure out these very baseline kinds of decisions of what's right and what's wrong, what's meaningful, what's not meaningful, what's worth committing your life to. And so the, the, the earlier and the deeper and the more consistently that we can interact with children on these very things, I mean, we've got to get it first, but, but once we've really wrapped our mind around that, then we have the opportunity to share that with children and help them get it, maybe even earlier than we did, so that they can have a more productive life for a longer period of time and really feel good about themselves. Kids in America today do not feel good about themselves. And I would say that a lot of that has to do with the fact that that nobody's helped them to develop this kind of philosophy of life where there's consistency and there's real wisdom in the kinds of choices that they make. Mm. Well, George Barna, we are certainly glad that you are working on these issues. We're certainly glad that you are helping us to understand where things are at in our culture. And then also that you're saying things like this. So I'm going to read back to you um, a quote related to this particular research. Y'all, George Barna says, culture is the inescapable context in which children are raised. But it, but, uh, it is adults, including parents, who shape and control that culture. If adults believe our culture is harmful to children, including their own, then why aren't they changing it? Okay, so that's really the question, uh, friends. we got to get out there uh, as the people who know and love uh, the Lord, and we have to be positive, positive influences in the culture of which we are a part. George Barna, thank you so much again for being with us on The Reconnect. Thank you, Tom. All right, friends, in a, uh, in a cultural influencer related below the fold, I got one for you today that you're just going to, it's going to make your, it's going to make you smile. Um, So below the fold is the part of the show where we like to just lift up sometimes cultural conversations that don't on the surface have anything. uh, They just don't appear in any way to be about God. And so I have one for you today that um, took place 60 years ago today. So think back if you're if you are of an age, if you're of such an age and imagine what might have taken place 60 years ago today. 
If I had a little Jeopardy music, I'd be playing it right now to give you a little time to imagine what exactly might have been taking place on July the 6th, 1957. Hmm, what might have been taking place on that day? Well, apparently, uh, in um, over in England, in Liverpool specifically, aha, now I have piqued some of your interest, there was a church garden party. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about a church garden party that took place 60 years ago today in Liverpool, England. Two young musicians uh, met at that church garden party in Liverpool 60 years ago today. Did you know that? Did you know that John Lennon and Paul McCartney met at a church garden party? I'm just willing to bet that some people didn't know that. So you as a cultural influencer and Recognizing the cultural influence of the Beatles, you may wonder to yourself, well, I wonder who might meet at the next church event we have. Maybe you're having a church ice cream social this summer. Maybe you're having some kind of outreach for uh, for young people in your community. I mean, there's sometimes that we drive by a church and we see a sign and we're saying to ourselves, okay, whatever they're doing over there, it just seems ridiculous. Okay, well, it's an attractional event. I guarantee you that's what's going on. And I feel fi- I feel fairly certain that when this church in Liverpool, England, decided to throw this uh, church garden party on July the 6th of 1957 and invited this 16-year-old named John Lennon to play with his skiffle group, the Quarrymen, I I guarantee you that the organizers of that church garden party weren't thinking to themselves, you know what, we could really initiate a cultural movement here uh, that would – be a billion-dollar business, I don't even know. It's probably more than a billion dollars. I can't even imagine uh, what what all of the songs that the Beatles produced over the years are even worth. But let's just, uh, let's just consider for a moment what grew out of an event that was an attractional event, okay? Because John Lennon was playing with his band. He's a 16-year-old kid. And one of the kids who came to the garden party was Paul McCartney, 15-year-old. The article uh, posted by NPR says that that Lennon remembers McCartney showing up wearing a white sports jacket with a pink carnation, which I feel like is a lot to remember. But then I, I recall these guys became fast friends and, and, and lifelong uh, friends. So maybe it's not so surprising that he would remember what Paul McCartney was wearing the night they met. Now, McCartney remembers... Uh, Lennon as uh, strutting around in a checkered shirt. So isn't it curious that they sort of each remember the other and what the other was wearing uh, and remember that the other was kind of cool, but also describe each other as just maybe mono, maybe marginally threatening, both kind of a uh, big man on campus. And so the, the fact that one of them, is humble enough to recognize the, the giftedness of the other. It was pretty extraordinary. So it was actually on that same night that they spent a little time, I guess what's referred to here as backstage. Now, you know in a church there is no backstage. So, you know, they, what, they go to the fellowship hall, they went to a Sunday school classroom, something like that. There's no backstage. And uh, offset, I guess, is the way they refer to it here. And they, they played some music that they both knew. Eddie Cochran's 20 Flight Rock apparently was – impressive to Lennon the way McCartney played it 
and McCartney apparently knew all the lyrics. And so Lennon remembers it this way. He says, well, I was uncertain about partnering with such a strong musician because he might actually challenge my leadership in the group. But the hesitation was short-lived, NPR says. Quote, I turned around right then on first meeting and I said, do you want to join this group? Lennon says, I think McCartney said yes the next day. The walk-off in the NPR story is this. Though they wouldn't take the name The Beatles for another three years, that meeting began two boys, began between two boys, excuse me, on a sweltering summer afternoon, kick-started a creative partnership that yielded nearly 200 songs valued today at close to a billion dollars. Uh, and so there's all of these 50th anniversary um, tributes that arise out of this. What NPR leaves out of that sentence is this, and so here's how I would edit it. Though they wouldn't take the name The Beatles for another three years, that meeting between two boys on a sweltering summer afternoon at a church party kick-started a creative partnership, blah, 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 blah. Who is coming to events at your church? I mean, are you even interested in having 15 and 16-year-olds who are playing music? Are you even interested in them being on your church campus? Like, is, are you even opening up your church this summer for boys like this who might very well be strutting around in white jackets with pink carnations or wearing checkered shirts and, uh, you know, riffing on the guitar with each other? You might not like the music that they play, but you do have an in, you do have the opportunity to influence their lives, and they are going to be the cultural influencers of the future. And this is the point in time when we're the keepers of the institutions, we're the keepers of the keys, we're the ones who have the access to the you know what I would describe as like the means of production. They don't have access to anything, so they're going to go and hang out wherever they're invited to go and hang out. And what, what, what might it look like? How might the future be transformed if the place that's offered to them, if the story that they get to tell is that they met at a church event, at your church, in your town, on a particular day in the summer of 2017? Fifty years from now, somebody's going to be telling a story about having met at a church party on the 6th of July, 2017. Between now and then, Maybe they will have written 200 songs. Maybe they will have written 100 screenplays. Maybe they will have invented something together in a garage that I couldn't even imagine what it might be. But God knows, and God would very much like to use what he has placed in our hands to bring together the creative forces of the future who are really going to redeem, be, be people who help redeem the culture. So I'm just going to invite you to consider how it is that you're using not just your church facility. Um, maybe, you know, maybe you're sensitive about that particular space. Um, but, but how about the yard outside? My guess is that this church party in Liverpool, um, you know, they let them make enough music outside that it actually attracted kids in. So I don't know. Maybe it's the city park. Um, maybe, you know, maybe you put in for the uh, – for the permit to have a group event and put up a sign and invite kids in. I don't know exactly what the formula would be where you live, but I'm just encouraging you to think very broadly about how God might be choosing to influence the culture over the next 50 years in the way that he chooses to use your church property and your access to it tonight. Tonight.
Because this is just a couple of kids who show up with guitars. And out of it, the Beatles was born. And the culture was transformed. Not necessarily, from my viewpoint, in all positive ways. Um, but we don't control that part. What we control is the influence that we have over those who are going to influence the culture in the future. So uh, that's what I have to lift up to you. All right, friends, uh, we are just about out of time today. This is the Reconnect, and I'm Carmen LeBurge. Please visit me online at reconnectwithcarmen.com. We've got all kinds of new resources posted for you there. Uh, the one we're featuring today is a new resource by our friend Adam Barr, who was on the show last week. Uh, he has written a blog post for us entitled Three Tough Questions About Showing Jesus' Love to Your Gay Friends. For example, what if you get invited to a gay wedding? How would you respond? So we invited um, Adam to uh, help us talk through those conversations about loving our gay friends without compromising the truth. And we want to offer you that resource at reconnectwithcarmen.com. All right, friends, uh, visit me on Facebook at the, at the Reconnect uh, page or catch me on Twitter. I'm at Carmen LaBurge. That's all we got time for today. Have a great day and God bless. The Reconnect is brought to you by the Presbyterian Lay Committee. To continue the conversation and become part of the Reconnect community, visit reconnectwithcarmen.com. Faith Talk 570 WTBN. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Barb was stuck in a pit of debt quicksand, only making minimum payments. If you buy something that's $2,000 and then you only pay $25 a month, you end up paying $2,000 in interest. Barb does not like being taken advantage of. I just don't like that. I like being in control and paying my bills. Barb regained control with help from National Debt Relief. I love National Debt Relief. They were very helpful. National Debt Relief has helped thousands of folks just like Barb eliminate more than $500 million of debt, and they're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. They make it pretty easy. They negotiated with my debtors. National Debt Relief saved me thousands of dollars. I like them. <laughs> now that Barb's got it handled? I don't have to worry about not being able to pay somebody. That's what I love. It's like you get your life back. You can start over. Yay! If you're in debt for more than 10000 bucks, Barb says you should call who? Definitely recommend National Debt Relief. If they can help me, they can help anybody. Call now. 800-993-5881. 800-993-5881. 800-993-5881. Here's Dr. Charles Stanley, keeping believers in touch with God. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.